Good morning, New Life North. How are you this morning? Good to see your faces. If this is your first time with us, uh, my name is Andrew. I'm the lead pastor of New Life East. We meet over at Grand Peak Academy at Sunday, Sunday mornings, 9 and 11. So if you're on the east side of the city, join us sometime. We would love to see uh, your faces. Do please get your kids signed up for Desperation. This is the 20 year anniversary of the Desperation Conference. Can you believe that? Some of you are like, I guess so. <laughs> but do, sign your kids up. It's going to be an amazing time. Hey, we're starting a series on the book of Proverbs this morning. And so if you have Bibles, I'll invite you to turn in them to Proverbs chapter 1. And we wanted to do a practical series through the summer. As you know, when you work through your way through the church calendar, there are these like huge, like high watermark moments in the church calendar. We begin with Advent, welcoming the coming of God into the world. Epiphany celebrates the unveiling of God in the world and the person of Jesus Christ. During Lent, we walk with Jesus towards Golgotha and Gethsemane. So it's that pivoting towards the cross. And then, of course, in Easter, we celebrate the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And the whole Easter season culminates with what we celebrated two Sundays ago. It's Pentecost Sunday, the pouring out of the Holy Spirit. And then we have this long stretch between Pentecost Sunday and the restarting of the church calendar with Advent. And you go, well, what is this season called? What are we doing in this space? And do you know what it's called? It's called ordinary time. <laughs> it's sort of like, well, I don't know. You just do whatever in ordinary time. But ordinary time is actually where we learn how to walk with the Holy Spirit in all of the issues of life, the warp and the woof, of ordinary life, with actually, which actually, as we walk with the Holy Spirit, we discover that it's pretty extraordinary. And Proverbs is one of those great books in the scriptures that takes us into ordinary life and actually shows us the many ways in which ordinary life is already caught up with eternity, if we have eyes to see it. Before we jump into the book of Proverbs, let me just give you a quick overview of literature in the Old Testament so that we understand what type of book we're dealing with here. There are different kinds of books, different kinds of things going on in the Old Testament. We have, for instance, history. So history answers the question of who are we and where did we come from? So we get a lot of that in the Old Testament, don't we? We also get things like the law in the Old Testament. And the law is really trying to answer the question of what is it that God requires of us? What does it mean to be God's people? So where do we come from? Where are we going? What does God require of us? We also have in the Old Testament uh, we have uh, the prophets. <laughs> what is God saying to us right now? So the prophets are delivering the word of God to the people of God in a specific situation. We also have the Psalms. So it's not just what is God saying to us, but in the Psalms, we're trying to answer the question, what do we want to say to God? And sometimes what we want to say to God is beautiful and wonderful and we have praises to sing to God. But other times we discover that life is difficult and so what we have to say to God is complaint. And lament, it's our grief that we lift up to God as we covered last week. But then we also have another type of literature in the Old Testament, and that is the wisdom literature of the Old Testament, like Job, Proverbs, and Ecclesiastes. And wisdom literature really is trying to answer this question or get at this issue. Eugene Peterson puts it so well when he says that wisdom is the art of living skillfully in whatever situation you find yourself in. How many of you know that life is complex? 
It doesn't just yield to black and white, easy answers, but there's lots of gray area. There's lots of ambiguous space in life. And so wisdom is this sort of acquired sensibility about the textured nature of life that allows us to live skillfully inside all of the situations that life presents us with. It's not just about learning the answers to questions, but it's about acquiring a kind of savvy, a kind of intuitive know-how about how to approach life. And so this morning, I want to kick off our series in the book of Proverbs by answering this question, how is it that I become wise? What does it look like to embark along the path of wisdom? And so Lord, here and now, we open our hearts to you and we make our thoughts known to you. We thank you that the Spirit has been poured out upon us, and therefore, we lack nothing. You're with us. The Spirit makes present Jesus, and Jesus, you are our ever-present teacher, and you're our guide, and you're our helper. And so we ask that in these few moments that we have this morning, we ask that the Scripture would become a sacrament of the voice of the living God for us, that we would see things in it that we haven't seen before, that you would open up for us vistas of possibility uh, for engaging in your kingdom and walking with you that we have not grappled with before. And we ask that in all of this, we would become your people in a way that's more obvious than it was before. (laughs) Grant that we're asking. We say, may the words of the preacher's mouth and the meditation of the hearer's hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said... Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 1, the writer says, These are the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, the king of Israel, for gaining wisdom and instruction, for understanding words of insight, for receiving instruction in prudent behavior, for doing what is right and just and fair, for giving prudence to those who are simple, knowledge and discretion to the young, But let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance for understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and instruction. Or as Proverbs 9 and verse 10 says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Fear the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Wisdom. So, what is the book of Proverbs for? It's really for making wise the simple, and it's also for sharpening the wisdom of those who have become wise. And so, the writer of Proverbs, the wise writer Solomon here, king of Israel, he's saying that this, as you engage with this book, as you engage with the revealed wisdom of God, you'll gain wisdom and instruction, and you'll receive instruction and prudent behavior, and you'll learn to do what's right and just and fair, and it'll give prudence to you, our simple knowledge and discretion to the young. The wise are going to add to their learning and the discerning will get guidance. You'll even be able to understand Proverbs and parables, the sayings and the riddles of the wise and all of that is wonderful. But then what he does is he makes this really obvious, like he puts it in bold face, underline, italic, highlighted, like you have to see this, the fear of the Lord. Everybody say the fear of the Lord. The fear of the Lord is the very beginning of knowledge. It's the very beginning of wisdom. So if you ask the writer of Proverbs, how is it that I become wise, the writer of Proverbs says, this is how you become wise. You begin to fear the Lord. Now, in our time, uh, people uh, get a little bit funny about the fear of the Lord, don't they? 
They go, I don't know about that. The fear of the Lord, what does that mean? I mean, I thought that God was like, God was love and God is nice and God is like this grandpa figure and you can crawl up on his lap and kind of snuggle with him and all of that. And I don't know about the fear of the Lord. You know, I just don't really, I'm not really into that the whole thing. And so we're a little bit messy in our heads about the fear of the Lord. And my sense is that the Bible's perspective on what the fear of the Lord is, is different than what we think of when we think of the fear of the Lord. To give you an example that might help you a little bit, uh, how many of you have ever been to the Grand Canyon? By a show of hands? Yeah, a lot of you. That place is ridiculous. The Grand Canyon is amazing. You know, I remember several years back, we went to the Grand Canyon for the first time. We were driving out to California and we went through Arizona. You know, I think we were, what did we do? Like the southern rim of the Grand Canyon or something like that. Okay, so we had to drive through like a lot of Arizona. And my apologies to you if you are from Arizona, but like we did this in the middle of July, and I was like, as we're driving through, I was like, what does this remind me of? Oh, Mordor in the Lord of the Rings. <laughs> Smoke coming up out of the ground, you know, like volcanic warnings and stuff. Just this awful, desolate, barren wasteland. Like in the scripture, you know, where it says in Genesis 1-1, like darkness was over the surface of the deep. The earth was formless and void. It was like that was the part of creation that the Spirit of God didn't hover over, you know? It was like, get to... That's, okay, I'm done insulting your state. I'm from Wisconsin. I got a lot of making up to do, you know. It's a rough, uh, so you're driving through Mordor, you know, and you get to the, and all of a sudden the ground, right? It just like falls away. And as far as the eye can see, this natural landscape that it takes your breath away. It's shocking. And I remember seeing it for the first time and, and it was overwhelming, you know, as you come right up to the, the edge of it and they've got it all fenced off and you're looking down and you're just, you're staggered by what you see. Now, there are two responses, I think, to encountering the reality of the Grand Canyon that are singularly inappropriate. One is, oh, isn't that cute? There's like cuteness, right? Does not match the reality of the Grand Canyon, <laughs> you know? It's an inappropriate sentiment when we talk about the reality of the thing. The other response to the Grand Canyon that would be singularly appropriate is just to be dismissive of it or disrespectful of it. Oh, it ain't that big a deal, you know, and you get a little too close to it. And do you know that people actually do like every year they fall into the Grand Canyon? It's fenced off. It's a big hole in the ground. <laughs> Stay away. From the, like have some respect. And when in the scriptures, and by the way, when people fall into the Grand Canyon, it's not the Grand Canyon's fault. <laughs> it's not the Grand Canyon's, it's your, whose fault is it? Why? Because we didn't respect the reality of the thing. The Grand Canyon isn't being mean to us. The Grand Canyon is just being what it is. All right, we just didn't organize ourselves to the reality of the Grand Canyon in the right. Something like that is what the scripture means when the scripture talks about the fear of the Lord. Look at what Moses says in Deuteronomy chapter 10 and verse 12. Moses writes, and now, O Israel, what does the Lord your God ask of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in obedience to him, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and to observe all the Lord's commands and decrees that I am giving you today for your own good. What Moses is making obvious to us is that the love of the Lord is not separate from the fear of the Lord, 
It's not separate from obedience to the Lord or observing the commands of the Lord. It's a total respect for the reality of God. It's an organization of our being towards the reality of God. I would say it this way, that when we read the scriptures, I think the conclusion that we draw is that we begin to become wise as we acknowledge the reality of God, submitting ourselves to him and his good design for the world. We'll say it again, that we begin to become wise as we acknowledge the reality of God, submitting ourselves to him and his good design for the world. As we become aware of God and organize ourselves to the reality of God, we find that life works the way that it was intended. Last year during COVID, uh, I got really into cooking. Um, like some of you did, I saw your Instagram pictures. There wasn't a lot for us to do, and so we had to do it. And I remember one Friday last year, I decided that I was going to go out on a limb and I was going to cook uh, Julia Child's beef bourguignon. Have you ever done this? The boof. You know, it's spelled funny and all of that. Beef bourguignon. So do you know what I did? I just decided to follow my intuition. What does beef bourguignon feel like, you know? Then I let my feelings guide me, and so I gathered up these ingredients, and I put them all together, and I put them in a pan, and I just let myself be guided by my spirit and my own desire to sort of give, because cooking is supposed to be like an exercise in self-expression, right? So that's what I, I just expressed. No, I didn't do that. <laughs> do you know what I did? I went up above the stove and I pulled a copy of The Art of French Cooking by Julia Child out of the cupboard and I opened it and I meticulously followed everything that St. Julia told me to do. <laughs> Rigorously submitted myself to everything that Julia prescribed for the cooking of the boeuf bourguignon. And let me tell you, it was a rigorous process. All that you got to do, I mean, things are like time down to the second with Julia. And so I made sure, and normally actually I do, and Mandy will tell you this in my cooking, I do kind of follow my spirit. I am sort of an intuitive fellow, but not with this. The boof is too important, you know? And so I submitted myself to Julia's wisdom and I listened to what she had to say. And six hours later, that beautiful, velvety, bulfy sauce it was done and it was perfect. Why? Because I submitted myself to the reality of the boeuf bourguignon as prescribed. By, and do you know that in the ancient world, for the most part, when people thought of life, they thought of it like that. That life has a coherent structure to it that's guaranteed by God or by the gods. And the wise person is the person that doesn't just try to assign their own value to life and then make it work on their own, but the wise person is the person that submits themselves to received wisdom and learns to grow up into that. And, and in our modern time, we don't have that anymore, do we? What we have is a bunch of people who assume that there is no God or there's no such, there's no transcendent value to reality. There's no co coherent structure or order to reality. And that the highest value in life is just giving expression to what you feel inside and what you want to be and what you want to do and everybody's life is just their own canvas so just paint it and make it as wonderful and beautiful as it possibly can be and you know the old British saying is that the proof of the pudding is in the eating and so it's worth asking the question then if that's really the path to the wise life 
How is that working out for us? How's that working out for us? How's that working out for us when it comes, for instance, to our wealth? If money is just a tool for self-expression, and if everybody does that, we'll all live happily ever after, then why is it that the gap between the rich and the poor in our world is widening every day? It's not working for us, is it? How's, how's it working for us with relationship to power, the way that we think about power? It used to be that we understood that power was stewarded on behalf of a community, and it was intended to be released into the community to release life in the community, but now, we think that power is an end in itself. Power is something that we need to all kind of gain up so that we can become the highest and best version of ourselves that we can be. And it's worth asking the question in a world where everybody's trying to use power in that way, how's that working out for us? And the abuses of power, not just in the world, but also in the church are so rampant. So we're not submitting our power anymore to God and learning from God what it is that we ought to do with our power, and because of that, what's happening with our power? We're misusing it, and we're hurting people around us, our money and our power. Let's talk for a moment about our sexuality. In the 60s and the 70s, we went through the sexual revolution here in the United States, and we decided that the old way of thinking about our bodies and the meaning of our maleness and our femaleness, that all of that was just an imposition upon us by a hierarchical church that was trying to subdue us and make us all feel rotten and miserable about ourselves. And so we threw all of that off. And we said that our sexuality also ought to be a path for our self-expression. And now we're 40, 50 years on the other side of it. And it's worth asking the question, isn't it? How's that working out for us? We've lost any idea of what our sexuality is and what it's for because we have not submitted ourselves to the one who gave us our sexuality and designed it for our flourishing and the flourishing of God's good world. Can we talk about race for a moment? All that we went through in the last year, all that we have been going through in our country for the last several hundred years, the race issue is not just an issue of like, well, isn't it better just to be nice? Do you know what the race issue at its core is? It's a theological issue. What are human beings? What are they for? What does God demand of us? How should we treat one another based on our understanding of how the world works? At the core of it, guys, it's a theological issue. Are human beings made in the image of God, destined for union with God, and given, therefore, an unmatched dignity among all of the cre creatures in God's created order? Or are human beings just kind of in the way? Or maybe they're for us to use and exploit as we try to get where we're going in life? It's a theological issue, friends. And the reason that we don't know anything about how the races should get along with one another is because we have lost touch with the living God. See, the writer of Proverbs says elsewhere that humility is the fear of the Lord and its wages are riches and honor and life. So if in Proverbs, 
The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. That humility is what the fear of the Lord looks like in practice. And humility is submitting ourselves to God and his will for the world. Humility is the fear of the Lord. And it's not just that we do it and God goes, thank you for your humility, that's great, but there's a, there's a wage for it, isn't it? There's a reward for it. Riches, honor, and life. That's the writer of Proverbs' way of saying that life will work when you submit yourself to God. By contrast, the psalmist says in Psalm 14 that the fool says in his heart, what? There's no God. They are corrupt. Their deeds are vile. There's no one who does good. Verse 2, the Lord looks down from heaven on all mankind to see if there are any who understand, any who seek God. Verse 3, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. There is no one who does good, not even one. Brothers and sisters, God and his will are the source of our lives. And when we lose touch with God, what happens? We diminish. Our lives fall into non-being when we separate ourselves from the living God. So you ask yourself then, what is the core practice of the people of God that puts us in daily touch with the living God? I submit to you that the core practice, the daily practice of the people of God is that we submit ourselves to what's revealed in these scriptures. Remember what Joshua says to the people, do not let this book of the law depart from your mouth but meditate on it day and night so that you may be careful to do everything that is written in it. And then what? You'll be prosperous and successful. The first scripture verse I ever learned in my life, my mom taught me years ago, Psalm 16:8. I have set the Lord continually before me and because he is at my right hands, I will not be shaken. But Paul said to young Timothy in 2 Timothy 3:15. And how from infancy you have known the holy scriptures which are able to make you what? Wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. You say, how do we get to know God? According to the scriptures, the way that we get to know God is by submitting ourselves to the will of God, to the being of God, the goodness of God, as he's been revealed in the sacred text of scripture, St. Augustine said it so beautifully. He said that for now, treat the scripture of God as the very face of God. Melt in its presence. How many of you know that just is what scripture does for you? That as we submit ourselves to scripture, encounter scripture in our devotional times, our personal prayer life, all of those places when you write scripture on a little note card and stick it in your pocket. What's happening is the face of God is being revealed to you and it starts to wear away at all the things in you that are hard-hearted. One of the great fathers of the church many many centuries ago said that the nature of stone is hard and water is soft. But if the water falls on the stone long enough, what happens? It starts to wear away the stone. And he said the same is true of our hearts in the word of God. Our hearts are hard, but it seems like the scripture is soft. Sometimes it just feels like it's water through the fingers. And yet, as you encounter it over and over and over again, what it does is it wears away at the hardness of our hearts so that we become soft-hearted towards God and soft-hearted towards other people. This is why we read the scriptures. 
This is why we carve out space in our day to get quiet and submit ourselves to the practical wisdom of Proverbs or to the Psalms of complaint and lament and praise and thanksgiving because we find that it transforms us over time. One of the things that my parents did growing up, I'm so grateful, by the way, to have grown up in a Christian home. And one of the things that my parents did, my mom in particular did, that was so brilliant is that every single day when I was growing up, she read us the proverb of the day. You know, there are 31 of these. So if you want to, you can just do that with your kids. And we sit down at the table and she would read the proverb of the day. And sometimes if it was dinner time, you know, she would give us these little rewards. Like if you could, she would start the proverb and then if you could finish it, you'd get like an M&M or something like that. Listen, guys, whatever it takes, <laughs> whatever it takes. But she was trying to get the scripture into her family. Here I am, a grown man all these years later, and I can't tell you, I cannot tell you how many situations I have been in in my life where I'm confused about what to do, unsure about where to go. And all of a sudden, some proverb from when I was seven years old will come racing back to my memory. And that's what the scripture is constantly enjoining upon us, by the way, that we should bind it on our wrists and write it on the tablet of our, our hearts, that we should say to wisdom, you are my sister and call understanding our kinsmen, you know, that what we're doing is we're trying to live with the scriptures in such a way that it guides us. Think about what the psalmist said. Your word is a, that's right, you got it, because you know it. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light unto my path. I've taken an oath, the psalmist said, and confirmed it, that I will keep your righteous laws. And the psalmist is like trying to live with the words of God. Because the psalmist knows that as we live with the words of God, we have wisdom for how to live. All of the complex situations that we encounter in our life, all of a sudden the word will begin to light it up for us and we'll see which direction we need to go. All these years later, I still, guys, the core practice of my life, do you know what I do right away in the morning? I throw on a baseball cap and a sweatshirt, I make coffee, I grab my Bible and I go right out to the porch and I sit with the scriptures and I listen. You say, well, Andrew, I'm not theologically educated and I don't have a lot of background reading the scriptures. I don't really know what to do. I'm telling you, there's nothing fancy about it. You know what you do? You find the Proverbs or you find the Psalms or you go to the Gospels or you sit in the Epistles and you read and you read and you read. And then something exciting happens, right? Sometimes. Mostly what you do is you dwell with it. And you find a way, it finds, you, find, you discover that over time the scripture finds a way to insinuate itself into your being. It starts working its way into your innermost. And most of those mornings that I have on the porch, I don't have dramatic revelations. Do you know what I have? I have little moments where I'm wrestling with something in my life and all of a sudden, something I read in scripture illuminates that thing that I'm going through. And then all of a sudden, I realize that in that moment where just the tiniest little spark went off, I realize that God is beginning to speak to me. And so I write that thing down and I sit in quietness and I ponder it and I turn it over in my spirit and I say, Lord, what are you saying? And what are you speaking? And how do I need to be? And what are you asking? And I find that as the days and the weeks and the months and the years go by, I find that I'm becoming wise by that. And I don't have any, I, I actually shudder to think about what my life would be if I didn't do that. If I didn't take that space, if I didn't take that time to submit myself 
to the scriptures. Guys, we are living in an age that is so clamoring for our attention that if we don't fight for this, it won't happen. What'll happen is you'll wake up in the morning and the first thing that you'll do is you'll open that stupid device from hell. Your cell phone, you know? And the day won't be more than 30 seconds old. And you're on social media and all of a sudden anger and resentment and fear and self-loathing are beginning to insinuate themselves into your spirit because of what you see, what somebody else said, the story that somebody posted, what this other person did, that amazing vacation that so-and-so is taking and I don't know where they get the money to do stuff like that anyway. And by the way, I can't believe, like, I work harder than them. I should be further in life than they are. I should be, I should be on that vacation. Right? And the day's a minute old. You're finding your soul being dragged away to hell. Or you're on Fox News or CNN in the morning, you know? It's like drinking Mountain Dew and smoking cigarettes for breakfast. If you work for Fox News or CNN, I'm sorry. <laughs> Ecclesiastes says there's a time and a place for everything, even for those things. It's not right away in the morning. <laughs> Love yourself enough. Listen, listen to me. Listen to me, family. Have enough self-respect not to do that. Carve out space. Carve out time where you're submitted to the wisdom of the scripture and you're listening to the voice of God that will never condemn you, that will never heap burdens on you, that will only bless you and correct you and help you walk in the way of righteousness. Open the scriptures. For now, Augustine said, treat the scripture of God as the face of God, melt in its presence. Find that as you come into the world of scripture, that you encounter Jesus the Lord, who said, come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm gentle and I'm humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. How long is it going to take before you realize that every other burden in life is heavy? The burden of being involved in the fights of the world. The burden in be, of being involved in the antagonisms of the world. The burden of envying other people. The burden of self-loathing. The burden of all of that junk that we put upon ourselves because we don't submit ourselves to the scriptures. When all the time God was standing there just trying to bless us and help us and strengthen us. How long will it take? How long will it take? Brothers and sisters, how do we become wise? We submit ourselves to the wise one. But there's more. And with this, I want to begin to turn our attention to the table of the Lord. One of the things that the writer of Proverbs is also deeply aware of is that wisdom is not just kind of this thing that's sort of laying about in our world that we kind of gather it up and we can kind of make it happen for ourselves. But this is what the writer of Proverbs says, Proverbs 13 in verse 20, that he who walks with the wise, what? Grows wise. Guys, we are right now living in the age of do-it-yourself spirituality. 
Well, what we're all wanting to do is kind of find the book of wisdom and go off and avoid all those uncomfortable people out there and sort of work it out for ourselves and build a little wise life where we're sheltered and secured and we just kind of flourish on our own. And in a way, it's a little bit like Andrew just thinking that he can learn the art of French cooking and become an amazing French cook just by reading Julia Child's The Art of French Cooking. How many of you know it doesn't happen that way? How do you become a really good cook? You find a chef and you apprentice yourself to the chef. And then you surround yourself with a bunch of people who are also being trained at the same time because there's what's written on the page, but then there's how it's incarnated, how it is embodied. And do you know what the church is? The church is that group of people who for 2000 years have been schooling themselves in the fine art of wisdom. And we find that even though the church is messy and awkward sometimes, okay, a lot of the time, can I get somebody to bear witness with me this morning? We also find that there's wisdom here that we couldn't get elsewhere. And I have been in the church my entire life and I will be the first in the room to say that it is messy and it's awkward and it's difficult and it's uncomfortable. And I also know this about the church. I keep bumping into Jesus in it in a way that I don't anywhere else. And I find that as I bump into Jesus that I'm also becoming wise through that. That I'm as, as I'm locating myself among spiritual brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, uncles and aunts, grandmas and grandpas, that they're training me in how to be a wise man. And it's hard and it's difficult. It's difficult especially when I think that I'm amazing and I find out in community that I'm not amazing. <laughs> but those moments are Jesus reaching out to Andrew, waking him up, helping him become all that he's been called to be. I bump into Jesus. Paul says it so beautifully in 1 Corinthians chapter 1 and verse 30. He says that it is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus who has become for us what? <laughs> Guys, who really is the wisdom of God? Jesus. Where is Jesus found? Among his people. Come on, let's stand this morning. And so Jesus, here we are again now as your people, gathered up before you. We thank you that you have revealed yourself. We thank you that you have made yourself available to us. We thank you that it is your determination to make us wise, to bless us and to prosper us and to help us and not to harm us. And so, Lord Jesus, I pray that this morning, whether we're in the room here or watching online, wherever our lives are far from wisdom, I pray that this morning you would draw us in once again to your very presence, the source of life, the source of strength, the source of wisdom. Come, remind us again of what makes us human. Remind us again of what it takes to be God's people. Locate us once more in your body, we pray. Grant it, we're asking in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and all God's people said. Let's respond with this song of worship and then Pastor Natalie is gonna lead us to the table.
is acknowledging our need for the Lord and for his word and also for one another. We come to this table locking eyes with Jesus and our brothers and our sisters, for we are the family of God. Let's take communion together. It was on the night that Jesus was handed over to suffer and die that he took the bread and he broke it. And he said, this is my body that has been broken for you. Take, eat, and do so in remembrance of me. And then he took the cup and he gave it to the disciples. And he said, this is my blood that has been poured out for you. Take and drink and do so in remembrance of me. Let's take the bread and the cup together. Can we just open our hands together this morning? Just let the presence of God just fill you right where you are. Come on, begin to talk to Him, that community with Him that He so longs for as His Word is alive and active in this very room. Come on. And Lord, I need you. Oh, I need you. and he will never forsake us. Aren't you so glad you came to church this morning, you guys? He's good, yes. I love this image of community and how it it grows us in wisdom. And so we have many ways for you to connect with community. In the coming weeks, we have community section parties for section one and two this morning. So please, if you are connected in those two communities, and if you want to be, go and enjoy fellowship with your brothers and sisters this morning. You can also register for Desperation Conference out in the lobby, and we would love to connect with you at Connect Central to get to know you and help you get connected here at New Life Church. We would also love to pray with you. And so we would like to invite our prayer partners and our ministry team down to pray over you and with you and bless you as you go. Would you just open your hands now as we bless you on your way out? May you know that you have a God who loves you and will meet you right where you are. May you know that his word is a lamp unto your feet and a light unto your path. And go now into our city and shine bright for Jesus Christ, and it's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. Be blessed, we will see you next week.